Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight we have some very interesting topics. There's a whole slew of them. I'll just try to tell you a couple off the top of my head, and then the rest we'll see as we go along. We're going to start with an issue about black-eyed peas, a problem that came up this year. Uh, we're going to look at the empire situation on the chicken problem that was, uh, we mentioned last week. We're going to touch on uh, something about the coffee makers that are uh, found in hotel rooms, etc., and, and maybe also in, uh, in, in businesses. Uh, we'll mention a little bit about uh, a little bit about a, a company that makes home meal industry. That's you. The meals that you make yourself at the home, and they send you the uh, foods. And then we're going to talk about adulteration in milk, and then uh, we'll see how far else we get with this. Plenty. That's plenty already, although we have a whole pile uh, underneath. So well, let me start with something completely different, two very important stories or issues. The first one uh, it takes me back a few years. I don't know if you've been listening to me that long, but... For, the, uh, for a few years, we were talking about children that didn't get into yeshivas. And this is the week when everybody knows whether they're in the yeshiva or they're not in the yeshiva. And they, if they're not in the yeshiva for the child, it's pretty bad. Uh, I'm involved with a number of cases every single year. And this year is no exception. Uh, one child uh, supposedly is in the end. I'll have to find out this week if they, if, if they really are able to go to school. Uh, I, I, I'm not an organization for this purpose, although I know I have contacts. If anybody is having a problem, has not gotten their child into a yeshiva or a girls' school in Brooklyn, you can call us at 718-336-8544. We'll try to help you. But that uh, best time is the afternoons. But if not, you can leave a message, 718 336 8544, and if you have somebody in the neighborhood you know is having that problem, we'll try to help them. I have a few contacts of people who are actively helping people do get into the different yeshivas. But I want to tell you a story that just happened about a week or so ago in Lakewood. A girls' school decided not to open. That was the 95 girls were in that school registered for this year. It's a school that's been around for a number of years. And they decided not to open. So uh, it created a little problem, as you can imagine. It's not uh, in June. It's not May and June. It's the end of August that they informed the people that they're not opening. End of August, a little more than a week ago. So what are you going to do in that time? Uh, but this was in Lakewood. And in Lakewood, Baruch Hashem, they have a vad for the yeshivas, and you, if you had a problem like this, you called up the VAD, and the VAD told you, give us the two names, uh, names of two schools that you want to go to, and we'll try our very best to get you into one of them. And that's what the, all these girls are doing. Now, of course, if 95 girls only want to go to one school, it might be a little difficult for the school to find room for 95 girls, even to find room for five or 10 girls. Uh, you, 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 how much can you overload a class? Not everybody has space. If you need a new teacher, can you find a new teacher that fast? 
a qualified person that is going to do the thing you want to have them in the education that you want in your as the girl prepared for the school that you you have it's a bit of an issue right but the it, people rose to the occasion here in brooklyn we don't have any vad here in brooklyn every yeshiva or girl school is on their own nobody can make anybody do anything there's no pressure that's, that's possible all we have is just menschlichkeit uh, and the right person, and the particular person that I know who arranges this, the right person going to the school, speaking to the school, and, and, and putting themselves on the line for this child is usually enough to get into school. So I, I don't know if I could help anybody. If we can, we will try. So that's 718-336-8544. Now I want to tell you another story. This story, I'm not asking any help over here. I'm not asking for anybody to call me up with this, this problem, but I want to tell you about the thing, because if, if it affects anybody there that you know, anybody in your life, so at least you can uh, tie into this. I get a call. It's a few days ago. Uh, it was, must have been uh, Thursday. I'm not sure anymore, but I think it was Thursday. I wasn't here Friday, so it was, probably was Thursday. I got this call. The woman says that their religious family, but for some reason, they didn't always take their utensils, the kalim, to the mikvah. When you buy new utensils or plates or pots, pans, silverware, you have to toivel them. And over the years, she took some of them to the mikvah, but not all of them, and she doesn't know which ones anymore, so she really has to toivel everything. And her kids are yeshiva kids. And one of them's learning in yeshiva out of town. Um, fine yeshiva. And uh, she's embarrassed about the whole situation. And she needs, physically, she needs help. She and her husband can't do it. And the boy's out of town. And I said, well, I, you know, you live over there? Okay, I have somebody for you. And I mentioned the name of a rabbi that I know very well. And she said, no, he knows me. <laughs> so I tried another one. He knows me. I said, well, you know, maybe Chabad rabbi in the general area. He knows me. So I'm, see, I'm glad to hear that she knows all the rabbis. <laughs> but she's coming to me who I don't even know who this woman is. I don't know if she gets my magazine or she just picked me out of the hat. I don't know what, it, what the story is. And she, I've never spoken to her before. And this is what she called about. So I said, you know what? I'll give you another name. And I gave a name. She said, I don't know that person, but I know about that person. Yes, that would be a good name. So I got the rabbi and the, and the family over there to go ahead and to get some people in the neighborhood to take all this woman's kalim, including Pesach, <laughs> and to take the whole thing and put it into the mikvah. And, 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 and I don't know if he'll make it before Rosh Hashanah that I can't promise you. But we were able to perform that mitzvah. And all it really took was just a little bit of time from my side. I'm not lifting in, uh, anything. I just lifted the phone and made a call, one call, and it was resolved. That's, that's something I like to do. I <laughs> make one call. <laughs> it takes a couple of minutes. Give over a name and a telephone number and, and, and set the whole thing up like that. But here you have a situation where there are many, many people in our neighborhoods who A, they don't know about Tfilis Kalim. There are other things that, that they need. Just keep your eyes open, and believe it or not, you'll find 
different people to help. I'll tell you one more quick story before I start the program. <laughs> I like to tell stories. My father was a great storyteller. And I, this, this story is very, very interesting. You know, I, I've mentioned here before that I like to fix people's tefillin. I, I'm constantly uh, seeing people whose tefillin don't fit on properly, and I try to adjust them for them. It takes a minute, and if they don't hit me in the head, they're very happy at the end. And they, they hit me in the head only because they, 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 they don't agree with me. So here's this boy. He may be 15, 16. I don't think he was older or younger. Could be 17, I think 15, 16. I, I saw him and his filling weren't on right. I, I, I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, you know, I could fix your, here's, here's a mirror. You, maybe you didn't see it, but your filling are not on right. Would you like to fix your filling? So he said, no. <laughs> no, that was it. Walked away from me and that's the end of it. He was in the shul the next day. I was in the shul the same shul again. I don't go every time the same shul. I was in that shul the next day, and I saw him over there. And I, this one person in shul who beats me out completely, I call him a professional, and I'm an amateur. This guy can get the rabbi to change his filling. I'm telling you, he can, he can go up to you. I don't know what he does. I even can't even, I didn't even figure it out yet. But he has some kind of style where he can get anybody to fix that filling for them. He'll fix the filling for them. So I told him, he was in the middle of learning, and I told him, listen, when you finish learning, the, he, the bad boy is in the front of this row. <laughs> the front of the row. So after the davening, he comes over to me, the fellow that I know, and he says, he said to me, uh, Rabbi Wickler, I want you to know you got two for the price of one. <laughs> the fellow behind him, his tefillin weren't on right either. So he, he fixed, he was looking for the guy that I set him up, sent him over to, and, uh, you know, and, he put, and he fixed his tefillin. So I said to him, Rabbi, you know, uh, I, I tried, it didn't work. He said, you softened him up. <laughs> so anyway, that's the thing. But people, it's a nice thing. If you see somebody's tefillin is on wrong, correct it. If you don't know how to do it, take it to somebody who does know, tell them to go to a sofa. They don't charge anything. It takes a second. It's, it's very easy to learn, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous mitzvah. You take a 15-, 16-year-old boy, and he's putting on his tefillin wrong. He's got, another and f he's got another 105 years to go. So you're doing a mitzvah that's going to last for 105 years, every day except Shabbos and Yom Tov. So that's a, that's a very heavy mitzvah for, for you to get with almost no effort. That's, a, that's just an opportunity that, that many people pass by. I, I'm always amazed how many people pass over these people and just don't, don't bother going over to them. They know that that, that, that tefillin look ridiculous, right between the eyes. <laughs> but they don't want to do anything. That's what it is. We're afraid to get involved. Now, let me start the program. I'm going to start with something we mentioned last week. We were talking about uh, the simonim for, the, for, the, uh, for Rosh Hashanah. And one of them is black-eyed peas. Now, I don't know if you followed up on the, on the news at all, but the company called Bagan which is a nice company, does a high-quality product. They just made a recall on all their black-eyed peas. 
So if you have begun black eyed peas, don't use them. I'm going to read to you the letter from Bagan. It has been brought to our attention that some of Bagan plaque-eyed peas have unfortunately become infested. As a precaution, all bags of Bagan black-eyed peas have been pulled from the stores. If you purchase this item, please return it to the place of purchase for a full refund. Our apologies, I'm sorry, our apologies for the inconvenience. Note, this is an isolated incident and does not in any way affect any of our 14 variety of beans. We're extremely stringent in upholding our standards of cautious and quality and always stand behind our products. So that was from the Bagan Company. And then they said they ended off looking forward to keeping you a satisfied Bagan customer with our full line of premium products, wishing you all a I don't know the Bagan people very well, but one thing I, I could tell you, they owned up to it. They said there was a problem here, and they did it publicly. I like that. I like that because they made a real recall, said you can have your money back, and didn't in any way discourage you from feeling that way. And it, I think it's a, being upfront like that it is very important, and unfortunately, I think it's a little bit more rare. Now, we come next to the empire story, and this is important. I suppose if you take it and you know you look at the two stories together, it's interesting. The empire story, I think by now everybody knows that there was salmonella that was found in uh, the number of people who contact who contract got got the salmonella disease, and uh, one person died from it. Last week, we didn't know about the person dying. It wasn't not, it was, nobody knew about it. And we just found out that one person died and that 17 people were hospitalized. Somewhere along here, I think I have the breakdown, but I don't know if I can find it so quickly um, because it just uh, was a lot of stuff, and I don't really remember where I put it, so I don't necessarily have it in front of me where all these people were, but on one of the places, I think it was on the um, kosher, uh, I'm sorry, and the uh, Yeshiva World News, I believe, if it wasn't there, it was another place, they mentioned which uh, states that these uh, people who got sick were from, and 11 of them, of the 17, were from New York. New York State had 11 of the 17 people, and I lost the, the list here, somewhere I have a list of the, the other states. In any event, doesn't matter. The point is that it's dangerous, and uh, the Empire Company has has you know stated that uh, that they didn't know anything about it, and you know the, the government didn't uh, find out about it until just now either. And it's not clear, by the way, uh, w which people contracted the disease from the Empire chickens, because the government found another plant that also had the salmonella on the chicken, and they haven't announced which plant that was. So it's really, uh, it's not fair to blame everything on empire. And even, and it, the whole thing is not really very clear. But the people who were affected by it, some of them said that they ate empire chicken, and, they, and so, so they're, they're 
assuming that that is the source of the problem. But not that the full 17 people got it from, from Empire. And uh, so I, I wanted to discuss this topic a little bit. I had said last week, which I think was a little incorrect, that, you know, I said that the, the from places were playing it down a little bit, and, the, and I found only in the secular sources where they were talking about how it was definite with Empire and this and that, and there wasn't a recall made, and I, I was a little bit interested in that whole that thing, and, and I had the feeling that we were holding back. But I can tell you this week, after reading everything, uh, that's not the fact. The fact is that it's not clear, the whole business, and the fact is that the government did not make a recall, did not ask for a recall at all, even though some of the stories said recall. That's a term they used for the stories they wrote. But there was no formal recall whatsoever. And that is sort of amazing, right? Here we have black-eyed peas were getting a recall because of bugs. And here a man died, a woman, I don't know who it is. Somebody died, and it may be attributable, maybe attributable to this particular chicken, and we don't make a recall. And nobody has raised opposition to that. No one has said, it's a terrible thing, you didn't make a recall. And I suppose that's what the, the issue of the salmonella is all about, because the salmonella is controllable if you heat it to the right temperature, and that's why the recommendations were to heat it to the right temperature. And that's how everything I read reported it. Again, Empire, it's not 150% true, we don't know. We don't know if the person died from any Empire thing, that's for sure we don't know. Uh, we don't, we don't, we don't, the government did not require a recall, and the Empire did not require a recall, and it doesn't seem to be that it's necessary for them to make a real recall, whereas here with the black-eyed beans, we're making a recall over the insects. Interesting, no? But listen to this. This is, I, I'm not going to tell you where I got it from, but it's one of these reports, and this is what it said. While no recall has been issued, Consumer Reports advises eaters who may have the brand in their freezer to err on the side of caution and toss it. In other words, throw out the Empire Chicken, raw The raw chicken is not anything that's cooked. Uh, there's, again, that's a, and there's a Consumer Reports is suggesting that. Because of the specific strain of salmonella in this case, is particularly dangerous. Well, thank you for telling us that. We, one person died and 17 altogether all were, were sickened with by it. I think that one of the 17 is the person who died. So in other words, uh, this is a, a, a judgment call each person has to make about whether they want to do away with what they have in the freezer. Maybe they can get their money back, I don't know. But there was no formal recall because of the type of thing that salmonella is, I guess, and, but it certainly wasn't required by anybody, this recall. It wasn't, it was, there was no general recall at all. Interestingly enough, uh, you know, it, 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 there may not have been a recall, but, but people have to use their own common sense, and that, that's what Consumer Reports is telling us. But 
we shouldn't put any blame on anybody, uh, certainly not the from media and certainly not the empire, for, you know, for, for the fact that we haven't been asked to recall it. And, the, and you see that it's something that's doable with uh, proper temperature control. I mentioned Coca-Cola, and actually I have an article about it in, in the magazine, Conscious Magazine, the September-October issue. Um, but I, I just have a letter here from Rabbi Landau and B'nai Brock, who gives a shkocha to Coca-Cola in Eretz Israel. And this is what he says, and I have an article about the problem as well, but I'm just reading a little bit uh, from, uh, from his letter, which is in Hebrew. Mitzayr ma'od l'erosi, l'erot, I'll read it in, in, Israeli, in Israeli Hebrew. Mitzayr ma'od l'erot, it's very, it's very bothersome to see. Ashamevim l'aretz mashke Coca-Cola. They bring Coca-Cola beverage. Bepachiyos bebakbukim mitotzeret v'harishut palastanit u'meyaropa. Bringing into Israel Coca-Cola from the Arab settlements, from the Arab countries, and from Europe, asatzibor, and they're misleading the public. And he says, he explains a little bit about what it is the hashgacha on Coca-Cola. He says, Misha If somebody doesn't know production, He's going to say his own conjectures about what the story is. If it's a symbol, a, a, a sign, a, um, uh, you know, a logo of mine, there's a, I, I have a separate production facility. 24 sha'ot. 24 hours a day, the, the mashkichim are available. I don't know what this means exactly, but in other words, he feels that it's on a tight control. And he goes in and he discusses the whole thing about w what he does to make Coca-Cola. It's an interesting little piece, but the point is we've got to be a little bit open to the possibility that they're smuggling in some stuff and selling it as uh, kosher, in the Arab countries, they make believe, as they put on a, a, a hashkocha symbol, and they, they're fooling a lot of people. Now, this goes to a next topic is something which uh, is, is very new. There's a company called Lono Life. You shouldn't know from it. Lono Life. They make trefa broths, trefa soups, and uh, the paleo. I don't know if you know what paleo is yet. Paleo is, <laughs> is the old way people used to eat in the cave, men used to eat, you know, it's just meat and, and a very heavy in protein. And it's a whole different way of eating. It's raw food, it's, you know, an old style eating. Very interesting. A new thing going, trying to go back to the cavemen. <laughs> in any event, uh, all these are paleo, and they're all trafe, 100% trafe. What does it matter to me? Because these are being used in the K machines, they're being used in the K cup machines, they're using coffee makers. So everybody's been saying all the years that, oh, a coffee maker is for coffee. The K makers, the K cup company, it's for coffee and this and that. Well, here it's for trefa uh, soups. So it's, it, it's, uh, the whole company just makes these trefa soups 
in the uh, packets that you go ahead and use in these coffee makers that you're going to find the hotel rooms and the offices around us. And people have to start waking up and realizing that there are rabbis who are giving out information that everything is cheskes kashras because you only use it for coffee. Well, that's not the way of the world anymore. People use it for anything, and, it's, and you have to think the way people think. You have to know what's in the market. Now, what's the chances they're using this? Very high. Not this company, but another company. It's the new way of making uh, soups is a big deal. You look how much soups, how much tradition soup is sold. Look how much people are buying soups in, in these little packages. So obviously, this is a, a, a big business. Here's a woman um, who, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but maybe you'll come across it also. I thought it was very interesting. It's <laughs> just to understand what we're up to today. Lately, my family really has gotten into eating all of the simonim for Rosh Hashanah. Well, that's very nice. In other words, years ago, she didn't use the simonim for Rosh Hashanah at night, all the, all the things. Everybody dipped the apple in honey. Every, people dipped the chal in the honey. And that's then they went on with their meal. They ate the rosh, they ate the the, uh, the shechianu fruit, and that was it. The simanim, the rest of them that are that are mentioned in this forum and that that people do today, it became very popular. And she said that they introduced it in her family too. Well, <laughs> she tells us, we skipped the fish head because I'm too squeamish. But we do eat the heads of gummy fish instead. I couldn't believe it. They're eating gummy fish heads, and they say, it boggles the mind. It boggles. I'd rather take a picture of a fish and put it on the table. People don't want to eat fish, and so some people, what they do is they, they, they cook it, or they put it out, or whatever it is, and they don't eat it. Uh, it costs $2, or maybe less. <laughs> you can share with your neighbor. I mean, it, it, what, what is a, what's the big deal? Take a little fish from the fish store, and cut, the, cut it a piece, and, and then you have the head, and don't, don't eat it. The thing, little minnows, whatever they are, teeny, one, it's not, the, not disgusting. The squeamish don't eat it. Some people don't eat it. Some people put it out. But a gummy fish head? Is this what you think the whole thing is about? There's a very important thing, those simana. Whether you do them or don't do them all, the ones you do, that's a tefillah. That tefillah is a very important tefillah that you're saying. It's, you're asking Hashem for something very, very, very significant. If you read the words and see what they are, they're very significant tefillahs that we have, that we say, and it's considered to be a tefillah, and people who, who learn this for him, know that you take it very seriously, like you're davening in shul. It's not just you, you say, well, what do I say on the next one? What's this next one? Uh, uh, okay, I'll say it. No. <laughs> Daven. It's davening. It's just davening that tastes good, that's all. Rabbi Mili used to say, the, the, the food makes the bracha go down well. And that's for sure what's happening with the simonim. 
the, you're saying that little tefillah because we put the food in front of you. If we didn't go through the whole simonim thing, you wouldn't even be saying those tefillahs. And now you see it and it sort of ties in. It's interesting. Okay, you say, I can make a joke. I have a, have a raisin lettuce. have a raisin salary. Okay, you know, okay. Fine. We own all the jokes. But, the, but really, there's something here that's very significant. And I think fish heads should be fish heads However, you want to just get a, a Xerox of a fish head or you want your kid to draw a fish head, that, that would be much better than, than eating the jellyfish head. That's what I think. I mean, that's ask your own rough. <laughs> but that's what we're up to today, whether we're going to use fish heads or we're going to replace it all by very sweet and, uh, <laughs> you know, chewy, uh, gooey uh, imitations. This is an interesting story. It's nothing uh, so uh, earth-shattering, but it's interesting. This fellow started a, a company. Uh, I don't know if you know it, but it's been going on for years, the, the meals that are prepared already, right? And they set, you sign up for a few hundred dollars a week, and they'll send you one meal a day, three meals a day, two meals a day, whatever it is. I don't know how much you pay. Each one of them is different. And that's been going on for 15, 20 years, at least. It's a long time. I still remember. I had an advertiser once that, who did that. It, it was a good business, and, and the, but I saw that all of the, the prum ones, uh, the Hamish ones, the ones that had good hashkocha, and they were, they were glot this and glot that, I saw they all closed, and they always had problems. I think there weren't enough people in, in our world who really want to do it because they'd rather go out and prepare their own foods. But there, was, there were many, many startups like this. So this fellow, he's in California, which is much better for this, I suppose. And he has, uh, there, there are a whole bunch of these that are in the non-kosher world where you sell, you sell a meal kit. You don't send them the meals. No, you send the meal kit. What's a kit? You send the ingredients. And recipes. Sometimes you have elaborate ways of seeing it. Maybe there's, you know, the whole, make sure that they do it properly. They, you, 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 you'll see in a second what they do for Shabbos. It's very interesting. So the, people don't have time to go shopping. And they would like a cooked meal that they cook themselves. And they'll be able, everyone will feel that they prepared the meal. But they're not that great at shopping. Certain things are not available in the neighborhood. They're not great with recipes. Uh, even the, how much to put in, how much this, they're not so great at it. And they didn't have any training. So they feel uh, at a loss. And this fellow came along. His name is, um, his name is Simon Meron. He's a Moroccan Jew in Los Angeles. And he, and he delivers these kosher-at-home meal kits throughout the western U.S. Uh, he goes to Arizona, California, Nevada. The company is called PrepCo, which stands for Prep Kosher. So he, does, he preps it, and you, then you cook it. And it's, he, he considers it cheap, $72 a week for two meals for two people, up to $204 for four meals. So... I didn't break it down exactly, but it's not cheap. And but listen to what it says over here: the Shabbat box meal has it comes with a printed sheet with the Shabbat meal blessings, as well as a kippah because you, they don't have one, you see, and grape juice and chalas. 
So you get chalas and grape juice and a yarmulke, as well as the, to, to know which brachas to make because you don't have a sitter. They range from $80 for four people to $200 for 10 people, about $20 a meal for a Shabbos meal that you're cooking. And forget about the cholent. You'll see in a second. You're not going to see cholent in that recipe. Most of the customers are millennials and families. And um, they, he, he mentioned uh, also there's gluten-free options and kid-friendly and healthy recipes. And each box has step-by-step -step recipes with photos. Everything is packaged and sent from the company's headquarters in Glendale. Then it says over here, this is his quote from Simon, I hope to reach anyone who wants to cook a kosher meal and have a cool experience doing it. Okay, so now these millennials, they don't want to eat cholent. So what is, he, what is he stressing? He's doing Korean, Japanese, Indian, Polish, Romanian, and Italian dishes. Everything is, by the way, glad kosher, and it's under the RCC from California. So that's, uh, that's the olive base. So we're not talking about anything that's not kosher. And Marone says he wants to expand to Colorado, Washington, Oregon. He didn't mention Brooklyn. Uh, as well, provide meal kits for the, high, for the high holy days and for Passover. So this is a, you want to hear a trend? That's a trend. People want to have the Shabbos experience. It's like they want to bake that chodachalos but they don't even know how to do it, and that's why they have a whole programs for showing you how to do a challah. Uh, people want to be engaged, but they need to be led a little bit. My feeling is a lot of Bali Chuva will, will benefit from this, and I don't see any downside to the whole thing, except the, I, don't, I don't know what Koreans eat for Shabbos. So when and what replaced the, uh, the Pcholent, I haven't found out yet. If you'll find out, you'll let me know. Now, the next topic I have here is adulteration of milk. And the adulteration of milk is something that, uh, oh, I see now, I found my, I found my missing notes. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell it to you now anyway, even though it's out, of, uh, it's out of order. Just let me tell you about the empire. 11 people got sick from the, uh, those chickens. Again, it wasn't necessarily empire, and if it was, it was maybe only partly empire because there's another company involved. Oh, yeah, there's one more thing I want to tell you also. Anyway, so New York got 11 people sick from it. Uh, Pennsylvania got four. Maryland got one. And Virginia got one. And I, and I want to just say something. Now, this, I, I don't like to scare people, and it's really not, fa it's not fair to do that. But you should hear it, and uh, you can do what you want with it. Empire is the biggest kosher plant in the United States. Empire doesn't just make Empire Chicken. There are other chicken companies with other names on it and other hashgachas that make in the Empire plant. And I'm not telling you who. But if you find out, then you'll decide if you want to do anything with what's sitting in your freezer. Again, Empire was found to be implicated with this story of this person dying and the 17 people being hospitalized. Uh, hopefully they'll all recover, except for that one that passed away. Uh, hopefully we won't hear any more about this. But whatever it was, there was no official recall, 
but the consumer reports suggest that you don't eat it, what you had in your freezer. Now, I'm telling you, and no one else is going to tell you this, that the empire makes an empire's plant for other companies that are kosher. And they may have a different set of hashkachas. I'm not telling you about it. But if you find you want to investigate, you'll find out whether the companies that you use are using the empire plant. And if so, you might want to just think about uh, what you have in the freezer. From, from now on, I don't think you should wear it. But if something's in your freezer that's uncooked, think about, uh, find, find out if it, if it was made in the Empire plant, if you want to, and then make a decision what you want to do with it. Uh, don't ask me. And I'm not telling you which place, which, which people produce there, which companies produce there, but there are other companies. Okay. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about adulteration of milk. And I, I'm talking about the alteration of milk because it's something that always comes up. And, and, I, and I'm, again, I, do, I wish I had real solid things to tell you. I really don't, oh, yeah, I have to finish the other one first. I'm sorry to do things out of order again. You'll excuse me. Uh, last week or the week before or something recently, I, I talked about something called honeydew which is not the melon. It's a sugar-rich, sticky liquid. And uh, honeydew comes from bees, but it may not be kosher. And honeydew is not the only one. Forest honey, pine honey, fir honey, anything mentioning trees, that the honey that's mentioning trees comes into this question. Now, when I... I have to admit, I didn't say clearly in the past, was the following. Uh, when, I, when I mentioned this, I, I, I said the reason for the problem is that the honeydew is from uh, the, uh, the bees eating the uh, secretions from the aphids and scale insects. That I said correctly. But I gave the impression that it was because w the, the bees become trafe because they lived off this thing. I don't think that's the proper interpretation. But I'm going to be very general what I'm going to say now because it's, you know, I don't want to upset anybody. But th this kind of thing that we're talking about, the fir honey, pine honey, forest honey, honeydew, all those kinds of names, they come from these aphids, but not the aphids themselves. It's the leavings of the aphids. In other words, they, the bees process what comes out of the aphids. And that creates a special honey. How it works to make the honey, I didn't study yet. I want to look into it. But right now, the bee uses something that you're not allowed to eat or would want, never want to eat, and it converts it somehow into this honeydew or fur honey or pine honey or forest honey, anything to do with trees. So stay far away from it, and you can already see why. So I don't think it's, it's a question, it's a question of, the process, of, the, of the thing itself being not kosher. Okay. Uh, I think we could skip most of that issue because we, we've covered it. And now I'm going to go back to what I was talking about a minute ago, which is the adulteration of milk. I don't have hard facts. 
I wanted to go into it further. It's, it's something that I just wasn't able to dig in that fast to. But I want you to understand there's plenty of adulteration of milk. The question is, what's the adulteration of the milk? So most people think it's just adding water. Oh, you know why Chol of Yisrael? That's the whole joke, right? How much water do you put in? So I, 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 that's what a lot of people are under the impression. And it's not true. There's real heavy adulteration of milk. But is it occurring in America? Is something recent in America? That I haven't been able to find out. I know that many years ago, when the whole Shiloh with Chal uh, Yisrael was raging and we were younger people, and uh, there was a, Rav Moshe Feinstein came out with his heter. And there was a, a Jew, uh, a Rosh Hashiva in uh, Yeshiva University, who, who gave the, uh, who gave the Bechinas for smicha. And he disagreed with Rav Moshe. I'm sure Hasidic also disagreed with Rav Moshe. But he felt that, Rabbi Weiss, I believe his name was, uh, he felt that the, uh, that, that, that it wasn't fair because Rav Moshe was saying you can rely on the sanctions from the government, and he felt that it didn't work because the fines were all of $100. A bad fine, $300. They weren't heavy fines. I remember those days because I was printing the fines. And not only that, but, 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 but we couldn't find, and I went to the government and I tried to find, I could not find serious milk adulteration problems. Maybe they added water. That was the worst. We didn't come across them adding something else into the milk. But over the world, yes, they are adulterating milk. So I don't know yet a clear answer to what's going on here in America. But it's good to get in your head that there's a serious adulteration where you travel to other countries. And you also, any products that are produced in those countries and how important it is to have a proper control in hashkacha on the milk that's produced in the other countries, especially the powdered milk, etc. Okay. So let me give you a little bit about the adulteration. What I'm going to tell you now may be a little shocking, but again, is it in America? I don't know. I'm reading from a, a, a publication from January 2014. It's called Food Fraud an economically motivated adulteration of food and food ingredients from the Congressional Research Service. It's a very good document, has a lot of interesting information, but it's general, and I don't know if it, says, if it means us here in America. Milk and milk-based products. I'm reading it about the adulteration. Milk from bovine cows, that's the regular cow that we use here, has had milk from other types of animals, such as sheep, buffalo, and goats and antelopes, added to it. But also, but also adulterated with reconstituted milk powder, urea, I'm not going to define that for you, it's as bad as you think it is, and rennet, among other products. Rennet is urea is unbelievable. Forget about it. It may be kosher, but you wouldn't uh, in a million years. Oil is added. Detergent, caustic soda, sugar, salt, skim milk powder. These have all been added to milk. Adulterated milk may also be watered down and then supplemented with melamine, 
which is uh, very, 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 very dangerous, to artificially raise the apparent protein content and hide the dilution. So yes, it's going to be a little watery, but the milk content of the protein, the protein content is going to be high, but it's dangerous. It's melamine, an organic-based chemical, is widely used in plastics, adhesives, and other consumer products, and is known to pose a public threat, health threat. Adulterated milk might also be added, and this is really scary, into infant formula and other milk-based products. So that's a, a big one. We'll come back to some of the other adulterations in other foods if we have a couple of minutes. So let's go a little more into this problem of the milk. I have listed here a few more things that are added. This comes from a, a document called Dairy Technology, International Journal of Dairy Technology, uh, from the Society of Dairy Technology. And they have a piece that I have here, Detection of alteration, Adulteration in Milk. And listen to the substances that they say that have been found in milk. Various instances of, of adulteration of milk have been reported globally, wherein substances such as extraneous water, foreign proteins, whey proteins, and by the way, whey needs hashkacha. Any hashkacha agency will tell you whey needs hashkacha. Otherwise, <laughs> it's going to be a cheese-making process. Going to be, it's going to be called gavinas akum. So whey protein does not belong in milk as an additional ingredient. Melamine and urea, vegetable or animal fats, plus many cons constituents of milk fat have been added to, potentially, uh, to potential adulterants in milk and milk products. So that's a little bit of an idea of what uh, has been added. There's all kinds of other things which are about the same kind of topic. And then we go on to, um, of course, the most, most normal adulterant has been milk, but they, cre they, they have been found the other things as well. They have tests. I have here five tests that are done to, uh, to find about the adulterants. There's uh, three of them for whey. I couldn't even pronounce some of these names and you wouldn't get anything out of it. But I have three tests that can be done to find out if there's whey in there. And this means it's all being used. This goes to 2008, 2009. Then I have a substance, I mean a technique to, to get the, find out if there's non-dairy vegetable and animal fats in, in milk fat. So in other words, we can examine the milk to see if there's other fats in there. And there's another one to tell whether that's coming from cow's milk or from other animals. So all of these are, the, we have methods of checking it out. And here's the conclusion of this study. As unscrupulous manufacturers or vendors have developed an excellent understanding of the underlying principles in the detection of adulteration. In other words, the Ganovim have become experts. They have managed in many cases to tailor their blend in such a way that they come close to matching the natural product specifications. 
In other words, they can hide the fact that it's been adulterated. They can get it that close to the real thing that you cannot always detect it. Oh, unbelievable. Thus, the challenge is to develop simple and cost-effective techniques for detecting adulteration in milk, which could be used for high with high degree of repeatability. So they're saying it's a big challenge. Now, I'm going to go back to this paper, and if we finish this uh, in time, fine, I have more material. But this is absolutely scary to me. It's in the article that I read before from January 2014. You can get it. It's called, if you write it down, you can look it up in the Internet, Food Fraud and Economically Motivated Adulteration of Food and Food Ingredients. Quite simple, food fraud and economically motivated adulteration. My good friend, the olive oil, which we've talked about. I wrote a story that's about seven or eight pages long. That's a gigantic story. And every day I'm picking up and seeing more and more uh, fraud that is occurring in the area of olive oil. I advise everybody get your extra virgin olive oil with hashkacha, all your olive oil with hashkacha, and may I get, a, get yourself the best hashkacha on it, because the adulteration is unreal. It's the worst. And an extra virgin is the worst, because there's most money to make it. I'm reading now, which I hadn't even seen this before, this, just uh, today, I think. It talks about the whole thing with the olive oil being adulterated and mentions everything under the sun there. But listen to this last line. It really irks me. And when I think that the cashless agencies, many of them, are saying extra virgin olive oil, it's fine. Here it's, here's what I'm reading to you. In one case, there was only one case, but okay. Lard was used. Lard was found in to be used in making the olive oil. Lard is non-kosher fat from, from, from a pig. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that lard should find its way into olive oil. And, 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 it, and they say that some combinations contained no olive oil. Total, total fakes. And, and the fact that it says extra virgin, it's the the extra version can be faked out 100% too. And it's, it's, it's a terrible, terrible thing that's going on. In my estimation, it's, it's one of the things that the cashless agency is going to have to change. And that's why we pushed it in the story in the magazine. We mentioned that most of the cashless agencies don't agree with us, but I'm convinced that this is the way it's going to have to become in the future, that extra virgin always going to require certification. And some cashless agencies are doing that now. A number of the big ones are doing it, but not all of them. And it's a little scary to me. Uh, I came across this, I told you. Maybe if you didn't hear it before, I'll say it again. I came across it because a kashris agency had a mashkiach. Mashkiach told me that he bought the extra virgin olive oil and then found on the very, very bottom, in very tiny print, it's like five points. If you know what that is, that's very, four points is the lowest I've seen. Four, four, it's tiny, tiny, tiny. It says ingredients extra virgin olive oil blend with salad oil. And I don't know if you know what salad oil is. I do. Salad oil is anything that's a light-colored thing. 
including some things from grape seeds, from other things, that mamish would require hashkocha under all circumstances or considered 100% treif. And that's what's added into this olive oil. They say salad oil. No one even knows what the salad oil is because anything that's light-colored is called salad oil. And so you could be taking anything and adding in it, and the product says in big letters on the top, extra virgin olive oil. Doesn't say blend, doesn't say with, doesn't say anything about salad oil or about ingredients. Tiny, tiny letters in the bottom. The man had been using it in his facility for, ye- for I don't know, years or not, but for many, many, for a long, long time he's been using this, uh, this extra virgin olive oil from this company, and he just now spotted the bottom, what it says in the bottom. So, do we need this? I don't think so. I only have a couple minutes, so I'm going to give you one more. Uh, this is from the, again, this is what they've, they've discovered. Um, some of the things we did mention here, I'll give you one that we haven't mentioned, in, maybe in a while anyway. Fruit juice. Juices might be watered down, or a more expensive juice, such as pomegranates or other superfruits, might be cut with a cheaper juice, such as apple or grape juice. So if you're ordering, you know, pomegranate juice, no ashkocha, but, it, but it's just pomegranate juice, they may be watering it down with grape juice. Some juice may be, uh, may, may be only water, dye, and sugary flavorings. Total fakes. They discovered a guy doing this, one of the big companies doing it, apple juice. There was no apples in the apple juice. It was water, a dye, and a flavor. An apple juice, the company was discovered. Terrible. I remember this about 15, 20 years ago. So, and it mentions also that they sometimes add raisin sweetener. Raisins, you know, when you take raisins and put them into water, that's called wine. It's a whole big shiloh. You can raisin wine, very pure guffin. So you really do have a, a problem with raisin sweetener. Um, just one more thing. Time is really moving quick. I'll give you one more. The honey. That's also now, right? Honey. Honey, maple syrup, and other natural sweeteners. Honey might have added sugar, syrup, corn syrup, fructose, glucose, high fructose, corn syrup, and beet sugar without being disclosed on the label. Can you imagine that? They're allowed to do, or they're allowed, I don't know if they're allowed, but they won't necessarily tell you on the label. Honey from a non-authentic geographic origin, I, you know, it's from these third world countries, is also common, such as cases where honey from China is transshipped through another Asian country and falsely sold as honey from the second country. Oh, this is so common. You know, it's a product of Canada but was imported from, from, from Israel or imported from China, and they call it a price of Canada, you know, packed in Canada. This is what's going on in the world. Like with the, you know, Italian olive oil, that was packed in Italy, but it came from another country. So this is, the, this is really why you need Ashgacha. You can't rely on anything anymore. There's no thing, everything is fake. It's very, very simple to, to make a dollar uh, and to do this and... That's the problem. Let me just show you the source of where we got this thing from. 
the source of what I was reading this thing from 2014 is this congregation, I'm sorry, Congressional Research Service compilation from information reported by the USP, Michigan State University, uh, some other thing I can't even read here, uh, University of, Mi of Minnesota, Oceana, Consumers Union, and Food Chemical News, and Rodale Institute. So in other words, all of this misbranding and adulteration is very, very common. Again, from where? That's a different issue. Last thing I want to read to you, because the time is really gone, and that was from something we discussed a while ago, that a gentleman was traveling uh, back to England, and unfortunately, on the, on the food that he, that he got to, on, the, on the plane, it said that had uh, shellfish in there, et cetera, et cetera. And the uh, hashkacha was uh, a hashkacha from France, from Lyon, and uh, there was uh, a question, you know, how could it be? His name is on it, and here you have the, uh, and, uh, his name is on it, and here you have the uh, uh, trafe ingredients listed. So I have a letter here from him in which he says that it was just, it was just a mix-up because it was really the uh, allergies, and that's a very common problem we have, all of us, that we, it's hard to tell now. You've got to look carefully. Ingredients is one thing. Allergens and something else, if it says may contain, I'm sorry, the facility where they produce X, Y, and Z, milk, uh, whey, this, and, uh, not, uh, anything non-kosher or anything dairy, don't be concerned about it because that's only a facility. If you have a decent ashkacha, they've taken care that there are no ingredient like that has entered your food. Uh, and, and therefore, don't be reactionary, but up on the plane, you know, 30,000 feet in the air, and they're serving you a meal, and you see shellfish on the, on the ingredients or the packaging, even if it's, you know, if it wasn't clearly listed as an ingredient, it's scary. And that shouldn't have appeared there at all. Uh, it was an absolute mistake. And, but we have to use our own heads, and way up over there, we don't know what the answer is. This has uh, been a wonderful program. I enjoyed being with you tonight because some of the things I talked about are very important. Let me just remind you quickly that if you have somebody who has not been accepted in yeshiva, a boy or a girl, in the Brooklyn area, you can call us, 718-336-8544 at the Kashras Magazine office. If you want to get a subscription to the magazine, you can contact us there. If you want to get a sample copy or you want the Kosher Supervision Guide, the new Kosher Supervision Guide is now being printed, and the October issue of Kashras Magazine is now being printed, and you can uh, get all of that from us at 718-336-8544, or you can email us at Kashras, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashras Magazine, wishing you a Kasiva Vichsi Matova wonderful week.